Ladies and gentlemen, it's my great pleasure to introduce the director of the and Dr. Harry Brown. Roughly the right place. Uh, I'm sure people are feeling, sorry for that. There we go, quiet. Um, I'm sure people are feeling a little bit sort of drained uh, by the momentum of that last 30 or 40 minutes of the film in particular and the, and the place that it ultimately brings us. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, this extraordinary film, the, the, the convergence uh, of, of narrative lines and of political. Uh, ideas that happen in, in that St. Peter's field. Um, so what we're going to do is we've got about 25 minutes. I'm going to start off with one or two questions, and uh, but we really want to make sure that the audience gets a chance to ask questions as well. We're going to take them one at a time. We hope that they really will be questions and, and not long statements so that as many people as possible get a chance to uh, participate. Uh, this is not a political meeting, uh, in spite of all the political meetings we've just seen on the screen. Or maybe it is. Well, maybe, Mike, you might disagree. Well, I don't it's not a political meeting yet. But <laughs> the night is young. All right. Well, on that note, then, why don't I ask you a question about the politics into which this film finds itself. You've obviously had this film in mind for a few years. It's not something that you conceived in the post-Brexit or post-Trump era. But we are living in a, in a period now of elected despots. And it's hard not to look at this film and think, was it for this that the martyrs of Peterloo were slaughtered? I mean, this is a, a story about sort of democratic origins, if you like, a, a kind of a, a, a heroic story of the, of the struggle for universal suffrage. Uh, and it finds itself being released into a world where uh, elections, including the one that was held last night in the United States, for example, ones in Brazil in, in recent days, seem to have delivered something rather different from the kind of liberation and, and uh, class emancipation that was envisaged. Yes, I mean, well, <clears throat> that raises all kinds of, uh, of uh, issues. Um, First of all, I, I think that, um, speaking from certainly the point of view, uh, from a British point of view, that's the point of view from across the water from here, um, I think that these guys at Peterloo, if they were transported forward 199 years to discover that we have the vote, and huge numbers of people don't use it, don't vote. They would be horrified, uh, appalled, disgusted, I should think. Um, some um, boneheads might say, well, yeah, well, what are you complaining about? There was a referendum in Britain and um, people had the vote and um, they voted and uh, we have the results and it's democratic and so on. But what this is also about, I think, you'll agree, is truth. And of course, we know that people in Britain voted in the recent, two, two years ago in the referendum, uh, to a considerable extent, uh, in ignorance and fed by propaganda of a very unhealthy kind. Um, so all these things, you know, what, what obviously this is all about. 
calls into question questions of democracy and uh, of truth, really. The, um, the film that, it, funny enough, that it most reminds me of in, in terms of recent films is the film Selma, about the, uh, uh, in that sense of behind the scenes in political organizing, a really fully inhabited set of characters who are, who are living this really intense moment. And that, I guess, brings up the aspect of the film that it is, it is a Mike Lee film. It's a historical epic, a kind of a blockbuster. There's a lot of CGI in there, I think, to create crowd scenes and, and industrial landscapes and that. But it is still a, a film full of actors who, are, who are, have clearly spent time deeply immersed in their characters and developed them in the traditional Mike Lee way. Or maybe you can tell us about that. How does the Mike Lee method, that, that immersion in characters, the improvisational uh, work, how does that work with a film of this scale? Well, in the end, you know, um, uh, uh, and what I would say about that is, of course, true of um, Mr. Turner and Topsy Turvey, if you like, is that in the end, as far as I'm concerned, we're talking about people uh, looked at in a th real three-dimensional and rounded way um, and I mean I suppose speaking very personally about it I mean I see the world um, of course I see society and we see communities but I really on the whole it's all about individuals and um, I, you know one wants to make a film um, resonate with the individuality, the uh, extraordinariness of all of us. So, this film is no exception. I mean, we, you know, we assimilate and uh, explore research and then still in exactly the same way as we would, as we do when we're working on a contemporary film, we, um, we very thoroughly work on creating the characters in that way, in a three-dimensional way, and exploring them, and using improvisation as well as the research and everything. Of course, there are differences. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that one of the things about this film <coughs> is that when you hear these speeches that people are making, um, to a considerable extent, you are actually hearing what people actually said. I mean, all that stuff is researchable and available. Um, but the, the job, of course, was to research it and take it and uh, distill it and edit it and integrate it organically into the characters and, and, you know, and the dialogue in the film. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's all about bringing the same um, criteria to the job of bringing the world to life as I would in a contemporary film of the time I make, you know. It's about people, and in the end, people are people, are people. And these actors, they had the same kind of, if you like, role in inhabiting the characters, in researching the characters, and developing yeah, the characters. Yeah, we worked, as always, we worked for six months before we shot, right. got on location, and we did all the work, the character work, the, the research, obviously, the discussion, the understanding of them. I mean, it's not just about just about acting and improvising. It's about, I mean, you can only do this kind of thing with intelligent actors, um, you know. Uh, and 
I'm sure those in the audience here that know that there are actors in the world who are thick. <laughs> <laughs> they may look great. Or... They might look gorgeous, but they're not bloody used to me. <laughs> um, but there's no script in that six months. There's no, at the beginning no, of that no, six no, months, no, it's not no, a script. No, 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 that's all about preparing so that we can get on location and improvise and through rehearsal arrive at something very precise, which you may call a script. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Why don't we... There we go. There's a hand up there. Sorry, can I just say, I'm not taking any questions from any thick actors. That <laughs> uh, there, is a, there are microphones on both sides of the house, so if we can maybe get a microphone down to here for the, uh, for the first question from the audience, that would be great. This is less than a 15 words question. <laughs> uh, in terms of script structure, what's the best advice you've ever heard about screenwriting? Well... I think you have to be cautious about rules and regulations and advice and stuff. You know, here's the thing. Long before anyone could talk the language that you're talking or that I've been talking or that we're talking here, people were sitting around campfires telling stories. And if they were good at the stories, they had an instinct for what you would call structure. Um, so I'm rather resistant to good advice about structure, just isolated as a thing by itself. You know, first of all, it's about storytelling and following your instincts, about, you know, getting, getting this, organising for yourself and therefore for your audience what you want to say. And really, that's as much as I would say about it. There are all sorts of, I mean, we could have a week-long seminar about it, but that's not answering your question briefly. Okay. Um, over here. Um, two, two part question. The first is you depict the rulers of the day, Sidmouth and Liverpool and Prince Regent, with a good deal of contempt. Do you think that, is that how you, do you still feel that way about the people who rule our world? And also, the character of Henry Hunt is an ambivalent character. What do you think of him? And is it just him or is he a type? No, I mean, first of all, um, so far as, I'll take Hunt first. I mean, we researched Hunt, obviously, very uh, thoroughly, Rory Kinnear and I and others involved. And um, what we've put on the screen is uh, an honest and as accurate as we can interpretation of what we understand about him. He was a radical, he was, he was a wealthy landowner, he was a radical, he did fight for the cause, but he was one hell of an egocentric and self-promoter. That's, that's a fact. Um, and all we've tried to do is to bring that to life and breathe you know, um, life into it. And in fact, to be honest, the same is true of, um, of the uh, Home Secretary and the Prime Minister that you refer to. I mean, you know, you can read endlessly in all sorts of quarters that Lord Liverpool, the Prime Minister, was bland. That is, you know, everybody describes him in, in the same way. Um, Sidmouth did have a stutter, which Carl Johnson does. And, what, you know, we've tried to get to the way we understand they actually behave. So, they're not a... We, I don't actually agree, if I understood what you said correctly, that we've actually... that implicit in the way that, we, that we've depicted them is in any sense uh, um, a, 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 
actual criticism or a caricature. They are as they are, and you can see them how you like, but that is how they are. And um, they are, of course, um, motivated by these attitudes to... I mean, you know, Sidmouth says in that early scene in the film um, to Liverpool, you know, he talks about the North and sedition, and he's never been there, he never went there, and he was never going to go there. And he may as well have been talking about the African jungle. Um, you, you know, uh, it's a remote, dangerous, world, dirty world up there. And, and of course, that, that these guys genuinely didn't understand and didn't appreciate the, the condition of people's lives. So, the, the collectivity of those black-clad magistrates must be one of the great images in, uh, in this movie and in any movie about politics and conflict. That, uh, and it's sort of counterpointed by the, the white-clad women, in a sense. And the, the extent to which, uh, I mean, I, I studied this history 30 or 40 years ago myself, and there wasn't th this recognition of women's roles in it that the film certainly brings. And I mean, with that in mind, I want to make sure that we take plenty of questions from women here. So there's one down the front here, yes? There's a microphone just behind you. Thanks. Mike, I was just wondering what motivated you to make this film and what did you hope to achieve or effect in making it? Well, I mean, making a film it, it, it is um, a, 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 an investigation, an exploration, if you like. So, um, uh, so far as the question, your question goes in terms of what I could hope to achieve. I mean, you know, um, it's... I only thought about making the film uh, just under five years ago after we'd met uh, Mr. Turner. And it just seemed to me... On it, my instinct was that it would be a good thing to do. First of all, there's never been a film about it. And a long time ago, I don't even know when exactly, sort of in the 70s, I think, I read book about it. Not having known about the Peter Lumaska when I was growing up in the Manchester area, by the way, lots of us didn't. Um, and I remember thinking then, somebody ought to do a film about this. But it never occurred to me at that stage that that somebody uh, might be me, because I never thought at that time that I would make period films. I was committed to making films about the contemporary world. Um, but once having got the idea of doing this, about just under five years ago, um, and once we embarked on exploring it and preparing and researching it, almost on a daily basis we found ourselves saying, this is kind of relevant, this is increasingly relevant. And of course, as you said, really, you know, since then, it's for obvious reasons become even more so. I, 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 I'm not, even having made the film, I'm not really disposed to wind up by sitting here and saying, think this, because I don't, I've never done that. I mean, I, I like to think of my sort of films that you, the audience, will have stuff to take away and reflect on and meditate on and argue about and ponder and care about and so forth. Um, and um, this film is no exception. I mean, it raises a lot of things to think about, and I leave you in a place emotionally at the end, which you can, from which you can progress. I deliberately, after some debate we had, decided it would be wrong to have, at the end of the film, a whole lot of cards telling you 
you know, so and so went to prison and the, the, the parliament, the government reacted in a particular way and that this, that, and the other happened. Uh, I felt that would clutter your um, freedom to just digest it, really. And then we've got Google for that anyway. Pardon? We've got Google for that oh, anyway, right? Go and press buttons and find out about it. <laughs> <laughs> We're, I got my five-minute warning just now, so we'll try to uh, move t towards the close now. There's a question just here in the middle. If someone can get a microphone passed along the aisle. You're probably close enough that you could start anyway. Yeah, and um, the, the financial press is saying that billionaires are moving their money out of London because they fear a Corbyn government more than Brexit. <laughs> so what if any consolidation do you take from the process? Sorry, sorry, sorry just say that. Uh, so, billionaires are very wealthy. They're moving their money out of Britain because they fear a Corbyn government more than they fear Brexit. So what if any consolidation do you take from that? And two of your four period films have been about artists making art. I'm wondering... What would, you, what would your considerations be about making a film about artists making art today? Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm not entirely... Keep the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely two questions, anyway. Yes, sorry. Okay. The same question is, I don't really get the same question, because you're saying, I've made two films about artists making art, and now, what would I feel about no, I mean you made two period films, as in Topsy Turvy and Tur Mr. Turner. Oh, making art. Yeah. Today, if you're going to make a film, oh, I see. Art, I, see. Every I, film. I don't know. I'm not probably. I, I don't know the answer to that, really. I mean, you know, I, um, the truth is, I've never made a film which is just about one thing. So all the films I've made about lots of different things on different levels, converging and diving. And um, so I. I hadn't really thought about that, and I therefore don't know the answer to it. I'm not especially interested in films about artists as such, although those two films were about turning the camera around on us. But I've got trouble with quite knowing exactly what you're asking me in the first question. It was essentially, what do you think about the uh, capitalist fear of Corbyn being possibly worse than their fear of Brexit? Well... Um, if I thought for a split second that their fears were founded, I would be very pleased. <laughs> okay. uh, one more question. That was quick. I've only been here for 10 seconds. I know. I've flown here from across the water and you asked me three questions. <laughs> I will, excuse me, I will take three more questions. Three or three seconds. Uh, I'd like to know uh, what director do you, would you most admire the works of? Which, which other movie director? Well, uh, <laughs> that's the one sort of question I can't bear because it's so <laughs> wide and done. But I mean, you know, you want one director. Look, here's the thing: if you've never seen *The Tree of Wooden Clocks* by Olney, I suggest you they screen it here and you watch it. Basically, <laughs> I mean, that's just to name but a few. Next question. Next question. Up the back. There's, there's two up the back, so we might just take those two as the, as the, uh, as the two final questioners. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, just like to say that Maxine Peake was a wonderful choice. She was brilliant. And on a lighter note, just like to ask you where the location was for the film. Well, here's the thing about this film. 
is not one frame of it was shot in Manchester. <laughs> Though when we began the project, I said, of course, we'll have to shoot it all in Manchester. But they built a great Victorian city after 1819, and there's a modern city there. And where it all happened has long since been uh, very well-known streets and buildings and things. Um, the, main, the big scene, the massacre sequence, was actually shot in Tilbury Fort, way down in Kent, uh, next to the docks at Tilbury, which is a very uh, strange and ancient thing built by Henry VIII, um, which was available to us for a stretch of time and we were able to build some additional uh, set and have control of it and it was the right size and so forth. Um, otherwise we shot in Lincoln and Gainsborough and we shot the fat when you see the factory with the looms and the mill, um, that was actually a mothballed factory, which is actually a museum, though they've lost their grant because the Tories got in in, in Blackburn to cut it. Um, and uh, we shot on the Lancashire Yorkshire Moors and various other places. But never in Manchester. <laughs> and another question behind. Hi, I was wondering in what ways you feel that narrative cinema is particularly suited to dealing with history and historical narratives as opposed to maybe documentary or reading books or what you feel brings to these stories? I don't really know what you're asking me. What do I, <laughs> what do I think about it? Yeah, well, I guess what, um, what do you feel narrative cinema in particular brings to history, like in terms of these stories that maybe aren't so well known and what like cinema brings well, to it as opposed to it, reading it, books or documentaries? Or... I mean, honestly, no disrespect to you, but it's a, it's a sort of weird question for me to ask because obviously I think narrative cinema is a good idea as a platform <laughs> because that's what this is and that's what I've done, you know. And um, I certainly have nothing um, less than obvious to say about if this is what you're asking me, narrative cinema versus documentary, because, you know, uh, dramatic cinema, narrative cinema, um, experimental cinema, documentary cinema, and anything else you care to uh, think of, all sit healthily complementing each other. Um, we've perhaps feed off each other. But, um, so I don't, I don't really know. That is what I feel about it. Um, I certainly think, uh, on the whole, that uh, it's a good idea to make narrative films about historical subjects. <laughs> and I would be, um, you wouldn't believe me if I told you I thought it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> and are there particular licenses that you consciously took with this historical subject in doing this? The film it starts in with the Battle of Waterloo mm -hmm. in 1815, mm -hmm. and it ends with the Peter of Massacre, which we know was in 1819. So obviously, with some, I would have to say, some sleight of hand, yeah. I've slid craftily and with a matter of cheating through what are, in fact, historically on paper, four years. Yeah, but you, don't the sit, you don't sit there thinking four years is going to Yeah, the musical interlude is the kind of the, the slide of time there. Yes, but that's just one moment early on. Yeah. But otherwise, it, it, it's, it has its own internal time uh, discipline. Now, um, between those, within those four years, a massive number of major things happened in the context of this story, which simply aren't in it, because, you know, this is about getting to the essence of the thing. And it's, it's a dramatic, as we said, dramatic distillation. I mean, you know, um, Hunt, for example, 
when he came up for the for, on this day, had already been to Manchester on a previous occasion with quite a number of significant events, including a whole incident in a theatre, uh, which would have been fun to have in the film, but it wouldn't carry it. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So yes, it's it, it isn't it can't it isn't and can't be a literal um, ploughing through of the events. But we've you know it's about getting to the essence of things really. Well, on that note, we'll wind it up. And uh, one last round of applause for Mike. <laughs>